0: How good it is and how grateful we are, brothers and sisters, to worship the Lord together today on this day wherein we celebrate Mother's Day here in the U.S. and the United States. We are so thankful uh, for all of you mothers. We thank God and we give God praise and glory and worship for each and every one of you mothers This is your day that we celebrate and we celebrate it on the Lord's day. And we are so thankful for you. Thankful that God made you because God made us through you. And we are grateful to be alive. We are grateful that you are alive and we are grateful for all of our mothers who were alive, but have now gone into eternity. We are thankful for what they, what they all and what you all mean to us uh, even now. And what you will mean to us forever. How grateful we are for you. May the Lord bless you on this day. May Proverbs chapter 31, verse 28. Uh, be your blessing today. The scripture there says of the mother, the virtuous mother, that her children arise and call her blessed. May your children arise and call you blessed today. Whether they are your biological children or not, May your children and may those whom you have helped and influenced and blessed and guided on their way in your mothering and nurturing spirit, may they arise today and call you blessed. We call you blessed today for who you are and for what God has done through you. And we are so thankful for each and every one of you, our mothers, we are thankful for your presence and we are thankful for God's grace in your life. And we are thankful for everything, whatever it is that you have taught us uh, with your nurturing and gracious hearts. Be blessed today mothers, we pray. Be encouraged today. May the Lord give you a special portion of his Holy Spirit today. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you happen to be with us and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that today the Lord will touch your heart and that you will be drawn to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is God's will. He isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. And it is our prayer for you today. If you are online with us today, but you don't know the Lord, that today will be the day that you will come to know the God who created you through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins. This is our prayer, and it will remain our prayer for you. Happy Mother's Day to each and every one of you, our mothers who are on with us today, and even those who couldn't be with us today. Happy Mother's Day to you. May you be blessed richly and wonderfully on today. We love you and we are thankful to God for each and every one of you. Now, brothers and sisters, as we prepare our minds and our hearts to receive God's word today, to receive truth from God's word today, we are so thankful to the Lord for all of his grace and for all of his goodness to each and every one of us. We are thankful to the Lord today for his presence with us as we look again into God's word today, as we do each and every Sunday uh, by God's grace at this time. Now, brothers and sisters, let me say this. The Lord put it on my heart since I was unable to finish the very important message that the Lord gave uh, to me on last Sunday. The Lord stopped me at a point in the message. Uh, the Lord now is just leading me to continue with that message to complete what the Lord has to say to us. And what the Lord has to say to us today also has Importance for mothers and motherhood on Mother's Day. Let me direct us back to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. As we are rediscovering the Great Commission beginning last Sunday and through today, Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. we talked from verses 17 to 18 about the motive for making disciples. And then we also talked about from verse 19, the first portion of verse 19, the mandate for making disciples. You'll remember that the motive for making disciples is contained in the words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the mandate for making disciples found at the beginning of verse 19, where Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So you have the motive. The motive is his authority. The mandate is his imperative to us to make disciples and to make disciples of all nations. So in the motive we saw that they bowed and worshiped to him. We also saw the breadth of his authority and the bestowal of his authority. And in the mandate for making disciples, we saw two things that the mandate that that making disciples requires proactivity. Jesus said, go. The church is to be a going church, not a a sitting church, an active church, not a passive church. It requires proactivity, calls us to proactivity, making disciples does. But making disciples also requires proclamation because it is in the proclamation of the gospel that we make disciples of all nations when we preach and proclaim the gospel to all uh, without favoritism. So the motive for making disciples is based upon his authority and the mandate then of the church is to go make disciples. Now, finally today, In verses 19b through 20, we have the method for making disciples, the method for making disciples. Now, let me say this, as perhaps you may be wondering how it is uh, that this message, rediscovering the Great Commission, has application to Mother Good on Mother's Day. Well, it has every application to Mother For you see, when we think about motherhood as Christians, we have to think about motherhood in light of the gospel. And we need to apply the biblical gospel to our understanding of motherhood. It's very important that we see motherhood, view motherhood in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember, as I said earlier in the prayer, at the heart of the gospel is the self-sacrifice of God. It is also true at the heart of motherhood, there is self-sacrifice. If mothers do nothing else, they sacrifice. They live lives of sacrifice. They sacrifice every single day. In fact, mothers who are unwilling to make regular sacrifices are mothers who are lacking in their motherhood and in their motherhood skills. For you see, nothing would signal failure in motherhood more than an unwillingness to sacrifice on behalf of children. Mothers make sacrifices all the time. Now, of course, this, we should understand, is not as great as the sacrifice of motherhood, is not as great and significant as the sacrifice of God in his son, Jesus Christ on the cross. But true godly motherhood is a reflection of the divine sacrifice that God made on behalf of his children and that mothers make on behalf of their children. So sacrifice comes with motherhood. When we see mothers unwilling to sacrifice for their children, we see all kinds of bad things that come as a result of that. Some examples, people finding babies in dumpsters, people finding children abandoned. Now it is true, I know, that is not in every case that mothers uh, who, for whatever reason, abandoned their children did so because they were selfish. In fact, in the case of Moses in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, Moses' mother, she, though she didn't abandon him, she had to make a basket made of reeds and put him in that basket and put him on the Nile River and let him go floating off on the Nile River while Miriam watched the basket because she had to hide Moses from the uh, murderous aggressions, the genocidal aggressions of the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so Moses' mother did the only thing that she could do in that particular circumstance was she made a profound sacrifice in putting her son in that basket and trusting God's providence that God would take care of her baby so that the baby would not be uh, killed by the government. And God responded to Moses' mother's faith. For as Miriam, Moses' older sister watched the basket floating in the Nile by God's providence, the daughter of Pharaoh comes down to the Nile, and coming to the Nile, she sees the baskets, one of her servant's girls finds the basket, finds the baby in the basket, and Pharaoh's daughter saves the baby from death. And that baby, as we know, would grow up to be Moses, the great leader and lawgiver of ancient Israel, the people of God. There, a mother made a profoundly painful sacrifice to save her child, not to abandon him. Because mothers never want to abandon their children. Mothers who love their children and who have hearts of self-sacrifice in love for their children, Will never abandon them. And yet, in our society, because of the pull and the lure of wealth and riches and uh, the popularity of career and accomplishments and all of the sorts of things, so many mothers have been or are being torn in their hearts in terms of their loyalties. They're trying to make their career work. They're trying to go up the career ladder and all of these other things. And yet at the same time, they have their children whom they cannot abandon and who are the most important humans in their lives. And it's a struggle, you see. Many mothers are trying to do better so that they could do better for their children. And there is nothing wrong with that, trying to do better so you could do better for your children, trying to do better for them without, without sacrificing the motherhood and the nurturing that their children need. And yet then there are others who are torn in a different way, torn in terms of a divided loyalty that has been influenced upon them, torn because there are others saying you need to be doing this and that your children don't need to be the most important thing. You need to be focused on other things. And so many women are torn as a result of this, but mothers should never be torn. When it comes to their children. And by God's grace. He will make a way. He will honor your motherhood. He will always honor faithful motherhood. And he will bless you to accomplish. All that he has purposed for you to accomplish. Without you having to sacrifice. The motherhood and the nurturing and the rearing of your children. Never forget that, dear mothers, never forget it. Many of you had to make many sacrifices on behalf of your children and for your children and for your family for decades. God has not forgotten. And you know that God has provided and that the Lord has been there for you and for your children. And for those of you who are mature women, I encourage you to encourage the younger women in this, that they should never, ever neglect their children for any reason. For God's glory is in the blessing, the nurturing and the guiding and the rearing of your children. Why? Because our children are our future in this world. And not only that, our children have been given to us as a gift for the purpose of rearing them in such a way that we give them back to God who gave them to us. That's what Hannah did for Samuel. She was barren and unable to have a son for a very long time. She went before the Lord and told the Lord, if you give me a son, I will dedicate him back to you. And that is exactly what she did. And Samuel, grew up to become the great prophet and priest and judge of the nation of Israel. Mom, mothers, God has given you your children for you to give them back to him. God gave you your children For you to make disciples of them. And God has given you the position and the blessing to make disciples of your children. He's given you as a mother the authority and he's also, and therefore the motive and the mandate to make disciples of your children. See, this is what we all as Christians must realize, mothers and fathers, that our children have been given to us in order for us to make disciples of them. You are the one, mom, to lead your children to faith in Jesus. You are the first one they feel, they touch and they experience even before they are born. They have a connection with you that no one else does, not even dad in that sense. You are the one to whom they long as newborn infants and as young babies. There is no substitute for you. And so you then ought to be the first one to lead them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you are a Christian, they should have heard you praying for them while they were still inside of you. They can hear you, though they haven't been born yet and they can respond as we all know. It reminds me of the story of Elizabeth and Mary. When Mary, the mother of our Lord, had been told that she would give birth to the son of God. She went to visit her older, much older relative Elizabeth whom God had already miraculously blessed to become pregnant in her old age, past her childbearing years. And Elizabeth was bearing John the Baptist. Mary was carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. When Mary arrived at the home of Elizabeth and greeted Elizabeth, Elizabeth said that the baby in her womb leaped for joy when she heard the voice of the mother of the Lord. You see, the babies even in the womb can respond and can respond to your prayers for them. For you can pray for them in intimate ways. And no doubt I know many of you, if not all of you as Christian mothers, Christian women have prayed for your children while you were carrying them. That's a deep and profound intimacy that no one else has except God. And so, mother, you are the one, of course, along with their father, if you're saved, if he is saved, to make disciples of your children. You were called to do so. Listen to me. God gave those children to you, first for you to make disciples of. Now, if for some reason that opportunity passed and you were not able to do it when the children were young, nevertheless, you are still their mother and you should pray for them to be saved if they are not already saved. You should pray for them fervently and unceasingly as a loving Christian mother should. And if you do, you should be encouraged to continue To pray unceasingly for them as only you can as their mother. For you carried them. You carried them from conception, and you know them in a very special way. So pray for them and continue to pray for them as only a mother can. You see, motherhood ought to be first and foremost about making disciples of children. That's the first and most important thing that a mother, a Christian mother could do for her children. So we have the motive and the mandate for making disciples And in verses 19 and 20, we have the method for making disciples. And here it is. Jesus says to them, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. And here it is. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, the Lord says in verses 19 and 20. So the method for making disciples involves baptism. Baptism, okay? In fact, it involves baptism as the rite of initiation into into the people of God. By right, I mean spelled R-I-T-E, the rite of initiation. Baptism is the rite of initiation into the church, into the people of God. The method not only involves baptism as the rite of initiation, but the method also involves teaching as the ritual of instruction. Baptism as the rite of initiation, according to verse 19, and teaching as the ritual of instruction, according to verse 20. Now here, when we talk about, when, when the Lord talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let me say this. You can see first and foremost the clear Trinitarian theology of Jesus here in verse 19 in the words, the name, in baptizing him, in the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed Trinity, one God three persons, you can see the foundation of the theology that Jesus is giving here in his great commission to us. That we are to baptize and to teach. Now here's what I love about this. The the word go, remember I told you, is a Grammatically, in the original Greek here, it is a participle. Well, the words baptizing and teaching are also participles. In fact, they are present participles, meaning that they are to be a present and ongoing reality. That we ought to make disciples, which is the only imperative grammatically in the text, The only imperative is to make disciples and to do so by going, baptizing, and teaching. And now here we are on the baptizing and teaching part. You see, we not only are going, but we are baptizing and teaching because this is how we are to make disciples. With baptizing here and baptism, the method of baptism as the rite of initiation, I want us to look at a couple of passages of scripture that support this in what Jesus is telling us to do here. Because in baptizing people, what have we done? We've been, That means we have preached, we have proclaimed we have spoken the word. We have brought the message of the gospel of salvation to them. They respond in repentance and faith as many as do. And we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. On the subject of baptism here, let me say a word about the mold of baptism as Jesus gives us here. In fact, the mode of baptism and the meaning of baptism. First of all, the mode of baptism is immersion here because the Greek word literally means to dip, uh, to immerse, you see. It's one of the reasons why we baptize in the church, in our church, we baptize by immersion. We don't sprinkle, we baptize by immersion. First of all, because Jesus was baptized by immersion by John in the River Jordan, according to Matthew chapter three. Turning your Bibles to Matthew three, beginning at verse 13. When you come to Matthew chapter three, verse 13, Verses 13 through 17 records the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so for now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased." Wow. You see here, brothers and sisters, John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, the same John I spoke of a few moments ago, whose mother was Elizabeth, who leaped in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ. John now, the John the Baptist has been preaching a message of repentance. And his and listen, he's been he's preaching a prophetic message of repentance. It wasn't an easy message. It was a hard message. It was a true message. And it was not intended to entertain. It was intended to bring conviction. Because it was John's calling from God to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And preparing the way meant to preach the message of repentance, to tell the people, get your act together, repent, for the Lord is coming. Prepare to turn to the Lord. Make the path straight for his coming. He is here. He is coming. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While you have time and opportunity now, repent. And so John called the people to repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, repentance is an essential part of the gospel. It is an essential part of the gospel. The gospel demands, it calls for repentance. Repentance is contained within the essential nature of the gospel. That's why John is preaching the message of repentance because that is the entry point into which people come into touch with the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so now John preaching the message of repentance and calling upon people to demonstrate that their repentance is serious and sincere by being baptized by immersion. And being baptized by immersion meant that you were being cleansed of your sin. You repented and therefore been cleansed of your sins. Jesus comes to John and John says, I need to be baptized by you. You, what are you? You need me. I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus says, No, no, no. Let it be so. This is proper for us to do in order to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus, being baptized, sets the pattern. He wasn't baptized because he had sinned. He wasn't baptized. He wasn't calling John to baptize him because he had committed any sin or that he needed to repent of anything. No, this wasn't about repentance in the case of Jesus. It was about righteousness and the fulfillment of all righteousness. Jesus comes to set the pattern and the example, okay, for what he would do on the cross. For he would die, be buried, And raised anew. His baptism signified his coming to die, be buried, and be raised again. Everyone else who would be baptized in repentance and faith was baptizing and repenting of their sins because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and would show. And proclaim their faith in Jesus by being baptized, you see, and in baptism by immersion, every person would demonstrate, as we all have who have been baptized, that we have died with Christ, been buried with him, and raised anew. This is why baptism by immersion is. Important and important to us as Christians. By the way, if you want the um, if you want the clarification and the confirmation that Jesus was not being baptized because he needed to repent, well, that is confirmed by the words of the Lord God Himself. In verses 16 and 17, when the Bible says that at that moment the heavens were opened and the spirit of God descended like a dove lighting upon the Lord Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So Jesus was doing this to fulfill all righteousness, you see, not because he needed to repent. Of anything. And at his baptism, here, what do we see? We see the Son being baptized, the Holy Spirit coming to descend upon him, and God the Father speaking from heaven. So here at his baptism, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Blessed Trinity. And that is why Jesus says, that we are to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. According to that Trinitarian formula, recognizing the sound theology that there is one God three per, in three persons, Father, three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The mode of baptism then Is immersion. We see another example of this, by the way, in Acts chapter 8. Now, before I go to Acts chapter 8, since it is Mother's Day, let me make special application of this, mothers. You see, this is a part of what it means for you to make disciples of your children, that you teach them the gospel and teach them what it means to come to repentance and faith, and that you prepare them to make their public profession of faith in Jesus in the waters of baptism. You prepare them for that in how you rear them and teach them in the home, you see. They may not come to faith in Jesus. They may come to faith in Jesus at any time in their years of development. But one thing is for sure, when you know that they are old enough to understand to believe and repent and believe the gospel. You prepare them for what it means to be baptized. You should know yourself, mom, if you have been baptized, you see, and they ought to hear it from you first. They ought to hear it from their parents first. That's God's ideal. Even before you bring them or they come before the pastor to talk about repentance and faith and being baptized. Let me go on to this other example I want to give you in scripture. It's found in Acts chapter eight. So if you're in mass, you turn to the right until you go past Mark, Luke, John, you come to Acts chapter eight. And in Acts chapter eight, I want you to read along silently with me as I read, walk us through this story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter eight, verse beginning at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem for worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this chap- this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Now the Ethiopian eunuch brothers and sisters here is reading what we know as Isaiah chapter 53. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now we're talking brothers and sisters about an example here of what it means to make disciples of all nations. This is an Ethiopian official from Ethiopia who had been to Jerusalem and God led Philip to speak to him the gospel. And listen, Philip, God made it easy for Philip. The man was reading Isaiah chapter 53. Of all the places and passages that he could be reading providentially, God had the unit reading the passage that would speak most pronouncedly about the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament And God sends Philip right in there providentially at the right moment to speak the gospel to him. Verse 35, then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? The eunuch is calling for baptism because he has now placed his faith in Jesus once he heard the gospel from Philip. In verse 38, the Bible says, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch got down into the water and Philip baptized him by immersion, you see. Then when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the unit did not see him again, but went on his way, rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. You see, here is an excellent story and excellent example for us, brothers and sisters, not only, about baptism and baptism, the mode of baptism being that of immersion, but about making disciples. This is an example of making disciples. Philip was going. God sent him on the way to providentially meet up with this Ethiopian unit. This is one of the reasons why we like to pray regularly, that the Lord will cause us to cross paths with people who are right and who are ready to receive the good news of the gospel to be saved. If you haven't prayed for this, you need to pray for this. You ought to pray for this Christian. You're being obedient in, to pray for this. Why? Because God has saved you. The Lord has made a disciple of you in order for you as a part of the Lord's church to help make disciples of others. And at some point in time, you've got to get down to a one-on-one or one-on-two or one-on-three or whatever it is, conversation with people where you tell them the gospel. Surely you know the gospel. If you repented and believed and were baptized, surely you know the gospel. And you surely know the gospel now if you didn't before. You know it in a form that can be shared and spoken to others as we have walked through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses one through 11 together. Now, God has taught us these truths over again and over again. Why? So that we would go in order to make disciples of all nations. It's not just the job of the pastor, the preacher. It's the job of every parishioner, every child of God. It's the calling of the people of God to make disciples. Let us make disciples of our children. Let us make disciples of our family members. Let us make disciples of our spouses if we need to. Let me ask you a question. If you are a Christian, but you're married to a non-Christian, how often have you actually spoken the gospel to your unsaved spouse? Have you ever actually done so? If you haven't, that's what's missing First and foremost, your unsaved spouse needs God. They need the gospel. They need Jesus, even if they don't want to hear it, even if they refuse to believe it, even if they don't want to hear you. No, I'm not telling you to force your faith on them. That's not possible. That's not how it works. What I am telling them, what I'm telling you, is that you need to tell them the good news of the gospel in every way that you can, including verbally. You need to plant seeds in every way that you can. Putting reminders around the house, taking advantage of opportunities to, to say a word of, of good news, a word that points to the Lord Jesus Christ Whatever it may be, you see, we need to make disciples of our family. But not only do we need to make disciples of our family, many of you, you have friends. You have friends that you've never spoken the gospel to. They know you're a Christian. They know you go to church. But you have never told them about the gospel. Now, you can make all the excuses you want, but listen to me. Why do you think God put that person in your life? Why do you think God caused you to cross paths with that person? If not, at some point, at some time, to open that door of conversation about the gospel, about Jesus, you see. That's what, that's God's will for you as a Christian believer to do with your friendships. How they respond is between them and God. But listen, not only friends, but whomever God would bless us to cross paths with. Philip here was going, and as he was going, God led him to cross paths with the Ethiopian, Union. God will do the same for each of us if we ask. And let us, brothers and sisters, not commit the sin of trying to avoid these encounters. Why? Souls are at stake. Just remember this. If your loved one or your friend or associate or whomever they may be dies in their sins and you never spoke a single thing to them about the gospel, enough said, a word To the wise is more than sufficient. I believe Ben Franklin said that, but those words are true indeed, applied to this. Here, not only do we have the mode of baptism, which is immersion, but also the meaning of baptism is contained in these words of Jesus here, the meaning of baptism. You see, the meaning of baptism is identification with, Christ. We identify with the Lord Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. When we were baptized, and we do so when we baptize others, they are doing so, identifying with Christ in his death and resurrection. Turning your Bibles to the next book, to the right, after the book of Acts, the book of Romans, to chapter six, Romans chapter six. In Romans chapter six, beginning at verse one, I, wanna, I want you to look at this, read this silently as I walk us through it. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now, Paul here is referring to the spiritual, the theological reality of of baptism, of salvation, as in, in the picture of being baptized into Christ. He's talking about salvation here, okay? Not first about literal baptism, but about When we were saved, we were baptized into Christ. Being saved is being baptized into Christ and baptized into his death. And we show this to the world by being baptized in the waters of baptism uh, physically. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, resurrection life. Verse five, if we have been united with him, with Christ, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin and we have died in Christ and we've been freed from it. Verse eight, now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Hmm. You see, brothers and sisters, in the method of baptism as the rite of initiation, we are baptized into Christ Jesus, and we show this by being baptized by immersion, because our baptism into Christ is identification with him. We are identifying with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, saying and signifying to the world that we too, spiritually, theologically, have, been, have died with Christ, been buried and raised anew with Christ. So the method involves baptism as the ritual of instruction, Jesus says here, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There's more that I could say, but time is running out on me. But the method here also involves teaching as the ritual of instruction. What does he go on to say? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. You see, it's the ritual of instruction here. The goal of teaching is perfect obedience, teaching them to obey. Paul speaks in several places of scripture. For example, in Romans chapter one about the obedience of faith. Because you see, obedience is the proof positive that you have genuine faith. Teaching as the ritual of instruction reminds me of Jesus' ministry Uh, on earth during the last three and a half years of his life before he is crucified. What does he do most often? He is teaching. He is teaching the crowds, speaking to them in parables and in various ways. He is teaching his disciples. In fact, they were inundated with the crowds so much that it was often difficult for Jesus to get to teaching his disciples, and so he would routinely have to pull them away. They would have to get away. They would have to break away and steal away, so that he could teach them as much as he could possibly teach them during the time that he had them. Why? Because discipleship, okay, at its base, at its foundation, at its core, uh, all teaching is a form of discipleship. And and so Jesus taught the disciples the word of God. Jesus taught the disciples about God from the word of God. He taught the disciples about himself from the word of God. He taught the disciples about human, human nature from the word of God. He taught the disciples about themselves from God's word. And as Jesus has done, so should we pattern ourselves after his pattern. That what we have learned in uh, the the ritual of instruction, we are to pass on and teach others. We are to teach our children, mothers. The core of parenting is teaching. Parents who don't teach aren't parenting their children. There is no such thing as good parenting without teaching. This is true not only for mothers, but also for fathers, of course, but we'll get to fathers on Father's Day. Mothers, you've got to teach your children. That is also a part of the self-sacrifice of motherhood because teaching requires time. Teaching is labor intensive. Teaching requires Herculean effort. It requires repetition. You've got to keep teaching and keep telling them over and over again. You've got to show them. You've got to explain it to them. And then you have to discipline them to make sure that they do it, that they learn it, that they obey what they have been taught. It's not easy work. But it is the most rewarding work of anything. It is the most powerful, the most profound and the most influential work. Why? Because mothers shape the next generation. What the next generation does, how the next generation thinks, the choices of the next generation are formed in those teaching and teachable moments between mother and child. And those teachable moments start from the very beginning. Not when they get to be 10 or 12 years old. No, you are teaching them from the moment you give birth to them. You are teaching them, for example, what love feels like in your womb and after they're born, when you hold them and embrace them for the very first time. Yes, you are loving them. Yes, you are nurturing them. You're also teaching them what love is, what love feels like on the outside after they're born. That's just one simple beginning example of how much teaching you do. Mom, you are a living classroom for your children. You are the living classroom for them. What they see in you, what they hear from you, what they learn from you, you are their classroom before they ever set foot in a physical classroom. And so your calling to motherhood is crucial, crucial to the next generation and crucial to the proper functioning of the world You will do more for the world by how you teach and rear your children than anything else. It is the most lasting and profound effect and impact. I'm not saying you can't have impact in other areas. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have impact in other areas. Of course you should. But you should not lack in terms of your impact on your children. So the method of making disciples involves not only baptism as the rite of initiation, but teaching is the ritual of instruction. And if you'll turn toward the end of the New Testament to the book of James chapter one, here's what James one says here. My dear brothers, take note of this everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. You know what, let me pause there for just a moment, brothers and sisters, and say this to you, and say this to us, mother, to, to you mothers. And to all of us today, listen, um, we teach for the goal of bringing about the obedience of faith reflected here in the words of James in chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. And that we should teach our children in these ways and disciple our children in these ways. Mom, dad, too. But mom, listen, look, teach your children to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Teach them how to manage their anger. Why? Because human anger does not bring the righteousness of God. If you let them go on and you don't disciple and teach and train them how to handle their anger, train them how to properly respond to other human beings, then you're not doing your job as a parent. And you're not discipling them as God would have you to. And teaching them morality, they kids be taught what is right and wrong morally, and they're to learn that from you, not from some not listen not from somebody outside of the home, from you in the home first, by how you live by by practice and by precept, what you teach them what you say, how you speak. And they, listen, be the example for them. Humbly accept the word planted in you so they can learn how to humbly accept the word planted in them. The goal of teaching is obedience. Verses 22 through following says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Teach your children how to apply God's word to their lives by doing it yourself and doing it before them so they can see a living example. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25 goes on. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, speaking of the word of God, and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. You will be blessed in what you do. We will be blessed in what we do, baptizing and teaching people to obey everything, every command, every part of God's word that has been entrusted to us in the Bible. By the way, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, or the person who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him, that is to say in Christ. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. No, it must live as Jesus did, live according to the pattern and practice that Jesus gave for us and has been preserved for us in the gospels and in the New Testament and in the Old Testament and New Testament of the Bible. You see brothers and sisters, so the goal of our teaching is faithful obedience to Christ. And what do we have? What do we gain as a result of this? The gift of his presence. You see, that's what he says there, does he not? In Matthew twenty-eight twenty? After he says, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This reminds me of Matthew chapter one. Back to me, this is the final chapter of Matthew. This reminds me back to the first chapter of Matthew, chapter one, verse 22 and 23, where the scripture says there at the birth of Jesus, that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, that's in Matthew chapter 1. And here we come to the end of Matthew chapter 28. And what's the final thing the Lord Jesus says? That I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So you see, brothers and sisters, the method for making disciples is initiation And instruction. Baptism is the rite of initiation. Teaching as the goal of instruction, you see. Mothers, teaching. Lead your children to faith in Jesus so that they will be baptized. And teach them to obey everything the Lord has commanded us in his word. Church. Let us live out, learn to live out this great commission our Lord Jesus has given to us. Let us evaluate everything we do as a congregation and as Christians in light of this great commission of our Lord Jesus Christ. That we are to make disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Now, as we prepare, to transition in our worship service. If you are here and you have heard God's word today, but you are not a disciple of Jesus, we pray and prayerfully call upon you to repent and believe the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ, the son of God died for your sins on the cross of Calvary, and that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that he is alive forevermore, and that he is soon to return to judge the living and the dead, and you want to be right with the Lord. Now is your time. Repent and believe. Now is the time to say to the Lord Jesus in your heart, right where you are, oh God, I repent of my sin. And I turn to Jesus and trust him as the only Savior and Lord, as my Savior and Lord. I believe he died on the cross for my sins and you raised him from the dead and he is alive forevermore. And that he will give me eternal life because I trust in him and I trust in him now. Only trust him. Only trust him just now for he will save you, my friend. Let us pray. Our heavenly father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit and for the work of your word and your spirit on our souls today. And we thank you for applying your word today to our mothers and to motherhood on this mother's day. And we thank you, oh God, help us to be disciple makers. Help us to be a disciple-making church. Help our families to be disciple-making families. Help our parents to be disciple-making parents of their children. Oh God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the richness of your holy word. And Lord, we know as Isaiah chapter 55 says, your word will accomplish your purpose and not return to you void. We declare it so according to your word in the name of Jesus, amen.